so I needed to change my mindset because I needed to get smarter on how do we make that turn? How do we, how do we make this a little bit more of like a full-time gig or treat it more like a business versus a hobby? Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. All right, welcome everybody. I am very excited because today our guest on the show is Brian Case out of Washington State who invests and has built a large rental portfolio and does a lot of flips in the Ohio market. So if you have ever thought to yourself, it's too hard to buy where I live, I can't invest in real estate. Or if you've ever thought to yourself, oh, it's just a tough market to find deals, you have to stay tuned because his story is gonna challenge you and give you a lot of great information to help you reach your goals. So welcome, Brian. Hey, I appreciate that. How you doing today? Awesome, yeah, so glad to have you on. I have seen a lot of your posts online about the different flips you're doing and really wanted to have you on and hear more of your story about how you've been able to do what you've you've done because um, it sounds like you're building a, a good portfolio. You said you're at 25 units, rental units right now. Is that right? Yeah. So we've got 14 homes, 25 units, rentals. That's awesome. And you're doing flips, two flips a month or no, not two flips a month, two flips at a time. Not yet. <laughs> hey, I might, I might get there, but not yet. Uh, we are, we are currently running two flips at a time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of big things, a lot of, uh, a lot of work in the last year certainly has, uh, exponentially grown and I expect it to continue. That's awesome. So I know, there are a bunch of listeners who want to hear about how to build a rental portfolio, how to find deals in this market. A bunch of people would love to know how to run multiple flips at a time. A bunch of people yeah. would love to know how to be a real estate investor in a market three time zones away, right? How, how does that personal yeah. investing work? So, and uh, I think we'll get into all of that, but just to give a backstory of how you got to where you are today, how did you get in interested in investing in the first place? What kind of initiated that that first investment? That's a great question. So, um, you know, I thought about it long and hard. It was kind of hard to pinpoint the, the the moment, right? But then when I was thinking about it, I think going back, it has to be probably shortly after I got married. So my wife. Um, uh, she has been great at pushing me to, to do bigger things and, you know, pursue my dreams. And so shortly after we got married, my wife, Lindsay, um, she's upstairs taking care of the kids right now. So, or else she'd be down here with me. Um, she got her realtor license. And so me being military, um, I had my full-time job. So uh, her having her license out in Montana, because we were out in Montana at the time, uh, it really was a catalyst for us. It, it, it helped open my eyes to real estate. You know, I, I had had an interest, 
but I never really, never really pursued it. You know, I was just more interest from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many people kind of get to that stage where they realize the value of real estate investing. They realize some of the rewards and they have that interest. What, you know, what separates you, you know, any RIA meeting or meetup, there's a lot of people interested, right. And trying to figure it out. How do you think you got past that point? Um, That's a great question. So, um, you know, my wife being a realtor, uh, she had to have her license under a broker. And so the broker kind of took us under his wing and uh, taught us a lot of a lot of the basics. And so we bought our first home in 2007. Um, We sold it in the middle of the recession, which, you know, we were in Montana. So we were fortunate that there there really wasn't a big impact to Montana. And so we sold that in 2009, which was kind of in the heart of the recession um, a while back. And then the military, uh, I was supposed to PCS. And so I was basically, I was supposed to get reassigned somewhere else. And so that didn't happen. We moved in with her parents. And so I didn't get an assignment. So we didn't move anywhere. So obviously, who wants to live with their parents for a very long period of time, right? So I think that played a a big catalyst also in us taking a leap of faith. So we bought a house. It was a foreclosure. Um, I don't remember what the bank was, but we lived in it for a few months or so. Then we turned it into a rental. Um, Surprisingly, there wasn't a lot that needed to be done on that one. And then we realized that we could house hack. And so we could use a VA loan because of my military background. So we decided to buy a fourplex in Montana as well. And so with that fourplex... For anybody not real familiar, what what's house happening? Yeah. And what are the benefits of a VA <laughs> loan? Because... Great question. So I say house hack because it's a common term in real estate business where essentially you are living, mm, you're like, for example, a fourplex. So living in one of the units, but renting out the other three, right? That's, that's an example. So I have tenants that are living in part of the building And it doesn't have to be a fourplex. It could be a duplex. It could be a triplex. Um, Depending on how risky you want to go, it could even be renting out individual rooms in a house. But that's that's not my forte. Uh, So when I say house hack, it's really you're you're bringing in other people that are renting, and and you're also living in the property. So that's kind of my my explanation of house hacking. Yeah, it's a great way. I mean, especially to get started. To really reduce your expenses, um, yeah, I think it's a great way. So, it was Kurt and Elizabeth Phillips that I interviewed back. I was way a few episodes ago, and they did the same thing for I think about ten years. They lived in a double that they house hacked. So, yeah, that that was a great episode. I I loved hearing their story, and um, if anybody hasn't checked it out, they they should. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. And so you've got the fourplex with a VA loan. Why are VA loans uh, good? Okay, so what is a VA loan, first of all? 
So uh, VA loan is um, veterans affairs. And so me being military or a veteran, uh, prior military, can essentially buy a house. Primarily, it's, it's one to four units, and they need to live in one of those units. And the VA, or Veterans Affairs, kind of, it's like a government-backed to a certain extent. And so that's, that's a little bit about VA and, and uh, how that works. And there, there's not much money. Did you have to put much money down for that? Oh, yeah. So uh, another great advantage to VA is technically you don't have to come to the table really bringing anything down. It's one of those uh, lesser known uh, secrets, I guess you would say. Uh, Of course, you know it if you're military or you're a veteran. It's it's a great way to get into a house and uh, zero money down. So, I mean, everything kind of gets rolled into the loan. So you do have to factor that closing costs get rolled into your total loan. So that does affect your mortgage payment, but technically you don't have to bring anything to the table. So that's a nice way, zero money down. Yeah. So how did that deal go? So uh, that's, that's interesting story. So we, we bought the fourplex and right after we closed on the fourplex, we were getting ready to move into one of the units And that's when I got an assignment that I had been waiting for to send us to Florida. (laughs) So needless to say, we never really got to settle in on that fourplex. (laughs) So here we are. Um, Let's see, that was like 2009, 2010. So technically we're in the midst of the recession, right? Yeah. And And we're new to investing. And we've got this rental home that we just moved out of because we're moving into a fourplex. And we were going to rent three of the units. And here we, here we come. We get a short notice assignment to Florida to, to move all the way across the country. Again, that's three time zones in, <laughs> in and of itself. Well, no, two, because Montana's uh, mountain time. <laughs> but, but we were kind of thrown into that. And uh, it, so a lot of good experience there. A lot of good lessons. So how did you handle that one? Did did you try to manage it from afar? Did you hire a manager or, or how did that work? So I would say the first few months, we actually tried managing it ourselves. Uh, I don't know if it was six months or if it was a little bit less. And that went well, but we learned that we were not the best at managing it ourselves because we had a tenant that was kind of taking advantage of us and not paying on time or not paying at all. And there was excuses and it was like, Oh yeah, um, I'll I'll pay you in a week or two weeks because of whatever lost their job or laid off or, um, whatever excuse it was. And so they're good at um, those excuses, or at least some of them are. (laughs) <laughs> and and convincing too, very convincing. Now, some of them might be legit, and I'm not going to downsize that. Don't get me wrong. But we realized that if we wanted to go about this the right way, we needed to turn it over to property management, and, and they would kind of handle it from there. And so we did. And so initially, we turned it over to um, a friend of ours, property manager. And so they did well for a few years on it. And then eventually we switched to another company. Um, I think it was because they got, they kind of got out of the property management business. Okay. But 
Uh, and then let's see. So yeah, we were in England for a few years. Uh, and so we had the single family home and we had the fourplex while in Florida, we had our own primary residence because we bought another home. And so now we had three properties or what should I say? Three mortgages to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, we, we had, um, let me back up. So the first property that we bought, we bought it conventional because we had some money saved up okay. the, the first single family home. So we put 20% down. So we had conventional on that. We had VA on the fourplex. And then when we moved to Florida, uh, we got an FHA loan. And so I don't know if all of your viewers are familiar with FHA. And I think the program has changed a little bit over time. So FHA, at least when we bought, was only 3.5% down at the time. I think it's changed. Uh, but 3.5% down it was the requirement for us. And so we bought, I think it was a short sale in Florida. Sure. And that was a single family that you lived in. Right. It was, yes. It was a single family in a nice little neighborhood. It had a small little HOA for, I don't know, like upkeep of the retaining pond or the entry signs. Nothing too fancy. And it was close to base, which was convenient. And so we knew, we knew if we kept at home, uh, and I hadn't touched on this, but part of the reason on all of these that we bought was location. Location was kind of important. Uh, being military, it needed to be somewhat close to the base, which was nice because it would be convenient if we wanted to find a military renter, which sometimes we have, sometimes we haven't. But being close to the base, usually there's a lot more jobs too. Sure. And so where did you go from there? I mean, that's six units. A lot of investors would yeah. consider that. I mean, really starting to move, right? I mean, really getting it going. What was the next step from there? Um, another great question. So our goal was financial freedom at that point, right? And we had started, started getting the ball rolling. But, you know, we didn't have a lot of thought in it at the time. We didn't know what we were doing, right? We were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants at that time. And so I was in Florida and it started clicking that what we were doing wasn't really something that would work for us long term. If we wanted financial freedom, we, we needed to grow faster. Um, so we needed to be more of a, like a true investor versus, and I'm not saying that that's not a true investor. It's just, I think for me, it was kind of like a, a side gig, right? I wanted to treat it like it was legit, like the real deal. And so... Like not a hobby. You wanted it to be more like a business, more professional. Yes. I wanted it to be a little bit more professional. I wanted a longer term outlook on it. And I realized that if I wanted it to be something that was going to help us achieve that financial freedom, that we needed to change how we structured it slightly. And um, so that's when I turned to education. And and so I needed to get smarter on things. That's awesome. 
So, yeah, you were talking about education. Yes. So education. So I needed to change my mindset because I needed to get smarter on how do we make that turn? How do we, how do we make this a little bit more of like a full-time gig or treat it more like a business versus a hobby? And so I turned to books, um, podcasts, uh, bigger pockets, forums, YouTube videos, Facebook groups. Basically, I reached out to anything I could get my hands on and, and kind of learn um, little bits of nuggets from other people that had done it and how they were doing it. And so that helped me kind of mold and help me grow over that or get over that fear that we could, we could really take it on full time and we could take on more than just six units. Right. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, I think, I think that's a great point that we don't want to gloss over because really I feel like every investor as they're getting into it, they have that doubt or that voice in the back of their mind saying, am I doing it correctly or can I really succeed in this? And too often we kind of, people look at it as if, should I keep investing or should I not? And, yeah. You know, am I, am I going to continue or should I quit? And I don't think that's at all the two choices, right? We, we should right. just accept that that doubt or that fear is just part of being an entrepreneur or part of being an investor. And you just have to kind of accept that as part of the process, you know, um, because you hear that voice doubting doesn't, doesn't mean that's yeah. a valid thing. You know, it doesn't mean the voice is valid and it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. So I would just like to encourage everybody, if you are starting to invest and you have that doubt or that fear, that is, that does not mean that you aren't equipped to invest or continue investing. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you're human and you're an investor and you're on the right path. Just keep going. Um, keep trying to get better. Keep trying to reach your potential. So I love that you kind of, in your story, Brian, you kind of doubled down and said, I'm not quite on the path I want. I need to reconfigure it a little bit. I'm going to study yeah. and, and make sure I'm doing it correctly or the way I want it. So right. you, were there certain books that really stand out when you were going through this period of study? So there was a couple. Um, obviously, one that stands out to me the most is probably one that you'll you'll hear a lot, and that's Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. And so, so that that for me really it really opened my eyes about a few different ways to look at things and kind of how you can treat things, and it and it helped. It helped on. Um, it helped framing that mindset, right? And then. Um, um, what's, what's it called? Uh, thinking, thinking grow rich. Yeah. Think and grow rich. Awesome. That, that's another, that's another great one. So, um, and of course, along the way, you don't ever stop with your education level. So, you know, there's been more along the way that I've read, but those, those were the two that kind of helped me, um, that's awesome. in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked, um, I've read a whole bunch of Robert Kiyosaki's books. The you know, I, the first one I actually read was the second one was the Cash Flow Quadrant. I found it as a yeah. audio book one time, 
uh, when I was overseas. And then I went back and read a whole bunch. But his first three, I loved. I loved the Rich Dead, Poor Dead, Cashflow Quadrant, and Retire Young, Retire Rich. All all great ones. So, and it seems like every time I think, oh man, I've really, I've found the really good real estate books. There's a whole bunch more, you know, that I suddenly discover. So, so yeah, it's, it's it crazy. And there's always something new that's coming out that you just haven't thought about that, that you can take that little nugget or maybe a couple nuggets and embed it into your business and how you do things. So it's amazing how education can help you propel your, your business to the next level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for the cost of a book, you know, 12, $15, it's like you're sitting down for hours with this very successful person and they're sharing all of their uh, experiences with you. I think it's pretty amazing. And especially audiobook, half the time, they're the ones reading it to you. You know, I mean, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. So, so when we, you're um, in this process, I know a lot yes. of people, when they get into that process, they end up slipping into the dreaded analysis paralysis, right? <laughs> Where they think, yes. if I just read another book, if I just listen to another podcast, then I'll have it all figured out. So how did you know it was the right time to jump and, and start investing again? Hmm. I think so. I'll kind of help set the tone of how I transitioned from how I went from what we had with our property in Florida and then our properties in Montana to kind of how I went from that to investing while overseas <laughs> in England and how I really, that's when I really took the leap into that, that realm where I wanted to go. Right. So, um, so yeah, after getting smart on a bunch of things and uh, networking with other people um, that had done it and asking questions, um, we realized that we needed to take action. So that was when we moved to England at that point. And so I needed to narrow down on a market because I realized that, you know, I'm military. So I'm probably going to move every few years. So do I want to have a house here, a house there, um, a house everywhere, um, which uh, nothing against that. You can make that work for you. Um, it just wasn't what I wanted. So I wanted to focus on one area. And so I was from just south of Dayton, Dayton, Ohio area, and just north of Cincinnati, kind of in between there. Okay. And so I realized that, that that's where I wanted to focus was the Cincinnati Dayton area. And so I had some connections. I had, um, I had some family members there. I had some friends. So I had that little bit of that insurance policy in case I bought something and I was like, Oh crap, I can't trust whoever to do whatever. Can you go look at that or, or um, really check up on it? So that, that was part of it. The other part of why I chose that market was it had an Air Force base there. So that, and this is a little bit more for me, is if I were to get stationed there, which is a possibility, um, it would be convenient because my business is there, right? So that was another part of it. And then after in 
after um, really getting to know a lot of the people that invest in that market that have been doing deals there for a while, um, I felt a lot more comfortable with that market than some others. You know, it's kind of that intuition feeling a little bit. So I think that was a part of it for me. So uh, that was when I made probably my, I would say my first mistake, um, or I learned about that mistake later. And it wasn't going to that market that was the mistake. It was that I sold my properties that I had equity in in Montana. And I cashed in on that equity and I used that to buy properties in Ohio, like in cash. Now, on one hand, that's not a mistake because you can get properties for probably a little bit lower than maybe if you had to do bank financing. So you can get some better deals or be more competitive. But my mistake was I didn't realize the tax ramifications on the capital gains. <laughs> so uh -oh. I, I, um, yeah, so I think we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Uh, a, well, a little how, bit more. How, like, how did it work out or what, how did it end up becoming a problem? So um, let's see. I, at the time, was filing my own taxes because I had kind of learned how to file taxes. The IRS had kind of done some training with the military and I volunteered to do it over the years. So I learned a lot of things about it. Okay. But what I made a mistake on was that I filed. Um, so I bought the properties cash. I bought a few properties cash, which I think we'll talk about in Ohio. And I had to do some rehabs to those properties. So I essentially lined those rehabs underneath the schedule C instead of the schedule E. And for those that don't know the difference, schedule E, if, if I'm buying it as a rental, um, of course, this may not be true for everybody. But uh, for a lot of people with your rentals, it goes on Schedule E. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I basically wrote off the entire rehab um, on my Schedule C, which basically zeroed out my gains. Uh, so uh, when it came to taxes, when I filed it originally, I didn't have, I didn't have a debt right out the gate. But the IRS came and found me a couple of years <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a mistake that um, I realized right away, but it was actually another investor in Dayton um, that pointed out to me when, when they took a look at my taxes and, and they said, you got a couple big issues here that you're going to need to fix if you want to start tapping into some bank financing. And so we talked about it for a few minutes. And then, so we kind of, I kind of self-identified it with the IRS because I would rather that than, um, <laughs> than them come at me and, and hit me with a lot of extra fees and penalties and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So that set me back a little bit, but, um, going back a little bit, um, uh, because again, that was a couple of years down the road. Okay. So when, when I sold the properties in Montana, 
I used the cash to buy, let's see, my first deal was in Cincinnati and it was, it was a $15,000 purchase, the home. And the rehab was about $40,000, which, you know, in hindsight, I may not have done that deal, uh, but it ended up working out and I still have it today. Um, it was my first rental. Um, what was the so, ARV, yeah, it's, what was the ARV when you were done? Do you think? So at the time, I would say the ARV was probably. Let's see. I bought it for fifteen, put about forty in it, and I think the ARV was probably about forty to fifty thousand. So I put more in it than, and I think that was because I anticipated the rehab being less. So that was kind of a learning. Uh, learning curve for me, but the market was appreciating and growing. So, I mean, the ARV on that property now, and I haven't really had to do much to it since, um, it's probably worth um, between 60 and 70,000, probably closer to 70,000. So it has appreciated. So, I mean, I could, I could tap into my equity on that property if yeah. I wanted to. That's a good uh, just point in that, you know, so everybody's going to make mistakes somewhere. Obviously, we want to reduce the number of mistakes we make, right? Yes. So, but we're going to make some mistakes along the way. And rentals, in my experience, are so much more forgiving than a flip. So, it, you know, in a flip, if you really get the rehab estimate wrong, there's no way, to, no way to really make that up in the six months or four months that you're holding the flip. But in the rental, right. you're holding it, you know, whatever it's been, seven years or um, five years, seven years, there's time to make that money back in the rents or in appreciation or right. a little more forgiving process. So, So, I mean, over the years, the rent has also grown from I don't remember what we started at. We probably started at maybe six fifty a month at the time, maybe a little bit higher. But we're up to eight hundred, maybe a little bit higher right now per month. So, and and the value it, it might command eight fifty. I don't know. I'd have to double check. Um, yeah, but that's great. Yeah, I've been amazed in, in our market how high rents have gone. You can't beat that. You crazy. Know? It is crazy. Yeah, that's all profit. Any of that rise in rent. So, right. I love that. <clears throat> so that was my first one, right? And you know, I learned through the process. And but thankfully, I had enough cash reserves from the equity in the properties that I sold. So it wasn't. It wasn't like it was the end of the world, where my rehab came in a little bit higher on that rental. And, you know, over time I've recaptured my money that I put into it. So, you know, I've overcome that, that mistake. And so, um, that is certainly something that people can do if they end up in that scenario, um, which I don't wish them to be, but you just never know. Yeah. <laughs> so the next, let's see. Yeah. The next year, um, so what year is still, this, just for the timeline of things. Right. So let's, um, so I bought those properties in Montana in 2010, 2009, 2010. 
um, held them as rentals through the time I was in Florida, which I was in Florida 2011 to 2014. Yep. And then in 2014, I moved to England. So 2014 to 17, I was in England. And so I sold those in 15. So 2015 is when, when I sold those properties in Montana. And I think 2016, we sold the property in Florida. But uh, 2015 is when we bought that first one in Cincinnati. Okay. And, uh, so you've built your portfolio in five years. You've been investing longer, but your current portfolio, um, you really have built in the last five years, right? Yeah. So, so my existing portfolio has really been a culmination of 2015 is really when we started. Um, when we really made that leap and made those changes to our business that I kind of alluded to earlier. Okay. So you started buying with cash from the the equity that you pulled out from your sales of your first ones. And how did you continue to build your portfolio or how did you fund deals from there? Okay. So we still had some reserves because we still had some money from uh, the sales of the properties in Montana. And so the next one that we bought was, I think we bought a few in 2016. And so we bought one in Cincinnati with the, those reserves. Let's see the numbers on that one. Hmm. I think that was 23,000. And I have not had to do really anything to that property, which is kind of weird considering the price point. Um, I think I lucked out. So I bought that one. It had a tenant in it. Okay. Which can be good and it can be bad. Yeah. (laughs) So um, let's talk about the bad part, right? For those that don't know. Um, So buying something with a tenant in it could be bad because you don't know what kind of damage they may do to the property um, after you buy it. You don't know if they're going to keep paying or if they've even been paying. So that, that is a risk. Um, So this one in particular, I was a little bit more comfortable with buying with a tenant because it was a long-term tenant. I think they had been there for about 10 years or close to it at the time. And they were older. So, um, and they're, they're still in that property to, to, uh, through today. So, I mean, they've been in there for like 15, 17 years. Yeah. I've had a lot of success buying rented properties. I know a lot of people, you know, kind of tell horror stories and say, you should never do it. But even I've bought some properties with tenants who hadn't paid rent in a few months. And I just have that heart to heart with them and say, you can either, be, you know, I'll help you along, move you out, and you can start paying rent somewhere else. Or if you want to still live here, you're going to have to start paying rent here. And then they start paying rent. You know, yeah, it's amazing, like, right? Yeah. I think some <laughs> of the, the problem tenants, it's really a problem with the management. <laughs> you know, the, the I, tenant's really not that bad. So I think so. So I think part of it's the accountability aspect and, and holding them accountable or they face the repercussions of not paying. And so that that's also why I firmly believe, and it works for me, uh, having property management in place. 
it works for me because I am obviously not there locally. And so uh, being across the country or in some cases, uh, I was in England. So <laughs> being overseas, um, it, it certainly helps with a lot of things that they do. Yeah, definitely. And I know when you're starting, a lot of times if you're trying to grow fast, it's hard to try to figure out how to buy, how to rehab, how to manage contractors, how to manage tenants. And, you know, it's, it's good to be able to hand some of that off, right? Even if the, the rental is just down the street, there are plenty of benefits to having a property manager who has that system already in place. So, right. And another aspect that um, I like is the liability aspect. I know if they're putting a tenant in there, I don't, I don't have to worry about the tenant coming after me if they're like concerned about, um, or should I say an applicant, not a tenant, like an applicant, if they feel like they were discriminated against or whatever, they're not going to come after me if I chose not to put them in they would come after property management who is certified by the state in most cases, if you're going with a, a company and you know, they, they know the rules of the local area. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that helps. Yeah. Versus me having to learn all of those ins and outs. Yeah. So what was the rent real quick on the, the 23,000 property? So yeah, that one was 23,000. Um, and it was renting for 600 a month at the time. And wow. so they were paying all utilities too. That's over 2%. Yeah, it was it was a good deal. Yeah, that's awesome. I I was actually surprised that no, I wasn't competing with anybody on that one. I might have been competing with one person. It could have been the market because again, that was that was in 2016. So you know, the market was starting to heat up, but it, it hadn't exactly gotten to the the level that it is now. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you uh, picked up one in Cincinnati, one, another one. Did it just take off from there, or what was your growth like from there? Yeah, so uh, things started to really uh, grow because now we're talking about me buying a few different properties and you know the steady rent coming in on those. And, of course, uh, me buying those with cash, my overhead was, was low, um, I didn't have a mortgage on those at the time. So um, the third one we bought was in Hamilton. So um, that one was, I think, right around 23000 to do. And the rent was, I believe, around 600 a month too. And I may have had to put a, like 1000 2000 into it. I didn't have to put a lot into it to get it rented out. Maybe it was two or 3000 And so... Yeah, those were the first three. And so um, we started getting that, that rent roll, which helps recoup the money that we had in the property. And I, let's see, I started thinking about, well, at the time, uh, our cash was starting to run low because the proceeds from those sales, um, it was starting to run low. So, but we had a steady income, right? 
a good steady monthly income. So that was good. So I started thinking about, well, how do I keep this momentum going? Right. Yeah. And so the next two deals that I bought were, um, I'm sorry, there was another one I bought cash and that was a duplex in Middletown. Uh, that's, that's when we started, the money started running low. And I think that one, the numbers on that one, can't remember. I think we paid like 50 some thousand for it. And, uh, and we, we put like 5,000 into it or no, five or 10,000 into it and then rented it out for, I think it rents out for like 12 or 1300 a month, like six fifty on each side, basically. Yeah. Uh, so seller financing was kind of where I pivoted to for the next couple deals after that. Because like I, I mentioned, my cash was starting to get a little bit lower and I didn't, I didn't want to deplete myself completely. Um, I wanted to have some reserves. So uh, I, from another investor in the Dayton market, that's when I got into the Dayton market. Because up until this point, let's see, we're talking years, right? So 16, I think all of those that I mentioned were in 2016 so far okay 2000 probably the end of 2016 maybe the beginning of 2017 is when i transitioned to a couple seller financing deals now for those that don't know about what seller financing is um basically it's when the seller offers to um basically act as like the bank right i'm paying the seller a monthly payment uh, of whatever amount we agree on over however many months, which in this case, these two deals, I think were seven or eight years. Um, but it, it can range, you know, it could be shorter, it could be longer. So, yeah. and then there, there was a down payment also a small down payment. I think it was like 10% maybe of whatever the purchase price was. Okay. And so these ones in particular, let's see, they were in Dayton. Um, one was a single family and the other one was a multifamily. It was two duplexes on the same lot. So it was a little bit different. Hmm. Um, all of them needed some work, some rehab to them. And so like I had mentioned, I didn't want to tap into the last of my reserves. So I, in this instance, and I don't advocate anybody do this, but it worked for me. Uh, in this instance, for those rehabs, I used credit cards. Um, it worked for me. Okay. But what I did was not just using any credit card with whatever the interest rate is. I used, um, uh, some 0% for say 18 or 24 months. And also this also wouldn't be something that everybody can fall into, but me being military, some of the credit card companies reduce the interest rate down to a very low interest rate, like 4% or 6% or even I have one that's 0% as long as I'm active duty. <laughs> which is crazy. Oh, That's awesome. That's yeah. an awesome tip. Yeah. So um, 
for those that don't know, if you're military or you're a veteran, um, actually, I think you have to be active duty for this one. Um, I just, I asked them, Hey, you know, service, uh, SCRA, which is, I think it's service members credit relief act. I said, Hey, you know, is there any relief that you'll provide for me? I'm active duty through this. Now, typically they don't have to provide that relief unless I were stationed overseas or deployed, then they would, um, they would have to cap it at 6%, which is what the law is. But, um, a couple of these companies went above and beyond and, um, yeah, uh, they reduced it down to like 4%, 6% and 0%. So I took advantage of that and, and I just, I applied online with the online banking. I just asked if they could provide relief. I think one of them I had to call and all they did was they asked, Hey, can you send us a copy of your order? So we know you're military. And so I sent them a copy of my orders to prove I was military and that I was active duty and, uh, they made the adjustments to the account. So, uh, that, that helped me in that instance with covering the rehab costs on, awesome. on a couple of those. So on your seller finance deals, how did you find those? You, you know, normally you don't find those on the MLS. How'd you come across these? You don't find those on the MLS that often. Um, so I found it through another investor and that would lead to another question of, well, how'd you find the other investor? Right. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm not living there, so I'm not local. Um, over time, I kind of tapped into some other Facebook groups. And so there's a couple in the Dayton, Cincinnati area. And this one in particular, Dayton, that's pretty popular with a lot of investors and uh, a lot of other people that are um, basically investing in real estate in some shape or form. And so one of the individuals kind of managing that group uh, had a deal that they posted in there. And so I kind of reached out to them, talked with them, uh, uh, got a feel for it, saw a bunch of the pictures that they sent me. Um, I had somebody go take a look at it for me, which uh, obviously I'm not local. So I had, I think there was another guy that was military that, I did some deals with, he was a realtor. Um, and so, uh, Jamie took a look at it for me. And, uh, of course I had pictures. And so that was kind of how I tapped into those potential deals was it was off market and it was another investor that was looking to unload it. And of course they're not just going to unload it for any, random price, you know, the, the goal for them is they want to make some money too, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just a different way of investing. Um, so he wholesaled it to me. That's a good point though. You know, a lot of times you hear about the seller financing and think it's distressed or yeah, some terrible situation. And this wasn't that situation, you know, right you know, um, a better way for that seller to make profit. I don't know, for a lot of landlords, it scares them a little bit to sell outright 
because they've been enjoying the monthly cash flow for years. Right. So when they can sell on terms, that really looks better to them in a lot of instances because they still get to enjoy that monthly cash flow. They just don't have the phone calls and headaches. So, um, yeah, that's no, a for great, sure. great opportunity. Yeah, and this was a great one for this investor. It was a win-win. You know, my my niche was I wanted rentals, so I wasn't afraid to buy something that needed to be fixed up. And they had something that they got at a good price that they just marked up a little bit so they can make some profit. And um, since they seller financed it, they were making that steady monthly paycheck on the um, the note. So, I mean, they were collecting interest over, you know, I think one was seven years and the other one was eight years. And so, yeah, and those are almost paid off now. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Man. So, oh, um, one thing I kind of glossed over that I didn't touch on is uh, another thing that I did with the money from the uh, properties that I sold from Montana was I did some private lending. And, and so, I did some private lending with a realtor that I knew. Uh, Jamie was his name. And he he invested more so in the Cincinnati area. And I networked in with him because, one, I needed a realtor, right? And I wanted one that invested in real estate. But the other part that kind of gave me peace of mind was he was also in the military. So he was in, I think he was in the Guard or Reserve. So I knew that I had someone that was probably of a similar mindset or um, I had a little bit more peace of mind with who I was dealing with, even though I hadn't met him in person. And so we did some private lending on a couple flips. And so I made, um, I don't know, we probably did three or four deals, I think three deals. And each one I probably made about 10,000 on, right? I think he made about 10,000. I think we did a 50-50 split on the profit. So, you know, we each made about 10,000 or so on those. And that helped me with uh, some of these purchases along the way. That's awesome. I, I mean, I have to say, just hearing your story, I'm impressed how well you've been able to network and it's all online. it's crazy i mean going to meetings and shaking hands and it's it everything's online and so i think that's that's awesome i i won't gloss over the fact that it wasn't like it was overnight either though so (laughs) it i won't pass up the fact that this is definitely risky to do um it i had to get comfortable with the people i was dealing with and so that took months of talking back and forth, getting to know what they do, how they do it, um, you know, getting to know that person really. And then when I had that comfort level, um, uh, that's when we moved forward on some deals together. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, especially right now with all the meetups and Ria's not meeting people have a tendency to think, Oh, well, everything's on hold. They have just as much opportunity to network right now as you did when you were in England or Washington or, you know, so there's, uh, there's no on hold. There's always opportunity. You just got to get out there and work at it, put in the effort. There's so many ways to invest in real estate. 
the real estate never stops. It's just a matter of the different ways to invest in real estate. So, so with, your, with yeah. your rentals now, how do you function now? Or how are, how are you financing your deals now? So financing my deals now, um, you know, fast forwarding a, a couple years, um, we are, so some of the times we finance cash our own money and, and that's okay. Um, but ideally if, if you can get into a property without any of your own money, that's, I mean, that's a win right there. Right. So, um, some of the properties that we have bought in, whether it was a flip or a rental, we use some hard money, uh, and some of them we've used private money. Just depends on on which deal you're talking about, right? And of course, the numbers had to make sense because if you're using hard money, your your cost is going to be higher nine times out of ten than if you were using private money. Yeah. And so, um, uh, I I prefer to use private money if I have it because it's a little bit easier um on it's a little bit less expense so um but the hard money i have a good relationship with a few different hard money lenders one of them is my brother-in-law and then another one is uh conveniently remember back when i had those seller finance deals yeah well the guy that i bought that from also is a hard money lender so i have the ability to uh purchase some things through through him as well. Now you need to have an exit strategy. So keep that in mind. (laughs) And when I say exit strategy, um, you know, not everybody may know what I'm talking about. Right. So exit strategy being that, yes, you bought the property. That's great. I mean, everything's going great, but how are you going to pay off that hard money loan or private money? But in this case, hard money loan when it comes due, right? Yeah, because the hard money loan, especially, is going to be short term, right? Yes. One year. Um, Yeah, typically one year. And so on a lot of the properties that we've bought in the last year, because we've kind of scaled a lot in the last year, uh, we've bought with combination of hard money and private money. And now we're transitioning into our exit strategy on those. And that's, that's the cash out refis, right? And when I say cash out refi, I mean cash out refinance. And what I mean is when we bought the property in the beginning, the numbers had to work for us to where we knew that there was value there to where we were getting it at a price that later when we needed to refinance, there was enough equity in the deal that we could go through a bank to do the, a cash out refi pay the lender off in this case, a hard money lender. And, uh, the goal is to, um, if, if you do your numbers, right, you might be able to take some money out as well on top of that. Um, it's awesome. So, yeah, so that's, um, you know, basically the burr technique, right? You're going to buy it, um, with cash, whether that's your cash, hard money lenders, cash or private lenders, cash, and rehab it, rent it. And then at that point, it should be kind of like the numbers for a flip, right? You should have 
um, maybe invested 70% or less of the after repair value, the value after you've re yes. rented it. So that when you do refinance it, if you're at 70%, you're probably going to get all that money back to, to recoup your investment plus pay off your lender. But if you're yes. only 65% invested, then, then you, you essentially profit that 5%. Um, right. The other thing that's important about having that, that gap between what the value is and how much money you're tapping into uh, when you buy it, the other important thing on that is there's variables that may not always be in your control. And so what if the market were to go down, right? Yeah. So having, having that, that buffer, if you will, uh, it, it helps. Um, or what if your expenses are more than what you originally anticipated if you had to do like a rehab, right? Yeah. So I've had a few of those rehabs go a little over budget. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually something's found. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little bit harder to find the ones that actually stay on budget than yeah. it is the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. So how did but, you start um, adding in the, the flip deals? Okay. So um, let's see. Flips. So I'm trying to think when was our first one. So last year in the fall uh, was really our first one in the Dayton market. Because, um, okay. you know, I had mentioned I had done some flips partnering as the private lender. Yeah. In the in more like the Cincinnati area. So we, we kind of realized that it's a hot market, number one. So it's a seller's market. So that's that's good if you can get a property at a, at the right price. And so uh we found well the first the first one was kind of uh I actually intended for it to be a rental. But when I actually took a look at the property. And so I went back to Ohio, I actually went to Ohio and visited everything. I, I saw all my properties and, you know, I networked with a lot of the people I deal with on a, almost a daily basis. And, and we met up and, and saw some potential properties that we were going to buy. But um, I realized that this particular home, it had, it just had so much character to it that I couldn't put myself to make it a rental and potentially watch over time tenants not take care of it the way that I would want it to. And so the numbers were there. And my original goal on this one, um, this one's on the West side and you wouldn't think that on the West side of Dayton, it's always a uh, market for flippers. Right. Right. But, but, um, my original goal was to just break even because I realized that I bought it at a price that was more than what I wanted originally as a rental. So I was like, okay, I can make it a rental and I can get my money back, but it's going to take longer than I want. And the home has so much character to it that I think we could flip it. So we looked at the numbers for flipping it and sure enough, we, we found that I could get my money back and then probably make a profit. So we decided to pivot that way. And so um, 
the rehab took a little bit longer than, than anticipated, but what goes according to plan, <laughs> you know, yeah, for the course. <laughs> um, so now I wouldn't fault the contractor on that necessarily. That's not really the contractor's fault. He did a beautiful job and it was, I mean, the house was amazing. And the interest was, I mean, we had a lot of offers over asking price the first like two or three days. It was more a delay on my part. I was using the same contractor on a couple rentals. So he was, he was kind of juggling, finishing up rehabs on some other properties while also trying to start on this flip or this rental that I switched to be a, a flip. Yeah. So, um, timelines just went longer than anticipated, but it ended up working out because that mark, that property came on the market in the spring and we sold it in the spring right when the market really heats up typically. Um, so that was initially how I got into flips, uh, was kind of by accident. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so we made a profit on that. I think so. We, the, the numbers on that one, we bought it for 35. We put 45 into it, which was more than anticipated. And then we sold it for, I can't remember if it was a hundred or 105. Uh, it was one of the two. Um, and so, uh, we sold it and then of course with closing costs, which we paid some closing costs, we made, I think it was between five and $10,000 profit on that. So, and again, my goal originally was just to break even. So I was okay with that because I knew that I was going to be able to get out of that deal and still break even. Well, also getting that experience and that foundation for flips. Cause I mean, yeah. let's face it. You could look at numbers and you could look at houses all day, but until you actually do it, you're not going to learn all the things that you need to learn. So yeah. that really, that really helps set the stage for me learning a little bit more of me managing the project on my own versus how I did some projects uh, in Cincinnati as a partner, like a, a private lender. Yeah. So that was good. So how do you, I mean, I know a lot of people who really struggle with hiring contractors where they live. How do you hire contractors or manage contractors from afar? Uh, it's important to have systems in place, number one. So what we have, so I use one main contractor for all my work. Um, I use him virtually exclusively. Now, some of my rentals, it's a little bit different. I might have property management company bring in somebody to do some work. Okay. And then, of course, um, we're running two flips at a time now. So uh, we have a new crew that we're starting to use on, on a, another investment that I've partnered with. Uh, but going back to your question, uh, having systems in place. So using this one contractor exclusively, I, I got to know him before, um, before I even used him way back. I've been using him since 2015 when I started. Uh, 
Wow. So uh, we've we've grown over the years to do a lot of work together. And um, before I even used him, um, how did I find out about him is probably the better question. Mm-hmm. So, so Jamie, the guy that was a realtor and also military, um, he said that, hey, one of my coworkers – um, one of my coworkers that is basically, um, their husband is a contractor, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I've heard nothing but good things about him. I haven't used him personally, but, um, I think you should take a look at him. So, so over, I don't know, a couple of weeks or a month or so, I kind of got to know more about him and how he does things and his quality of work. And so, I mean, the, the guy's old school, which I love because his, his motto is, um, you know, I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to do it right. It might take a little bit longer. It might potentially cost a little bit more, but it's going to be done right. And so that, that's what I love about him. Uh, some other systems that we have in place is uh, we talk almost daily on the phone about you know, you know, what's, what's coming up, even if it's just five minutes, we talk about, Hey, what's coming up? Um, what, what kind of, uh, fixtures or paint or flooring, roofing, all that stuff, you know, kind of plan that out. And we talk in advance on that. Um, frequent texts, uh, whether it be pictures or videos, or even messages through Facebook, uh, sometimes emails. So basically using today's resources to our max is what we do. You know, you have the ability to talk on the phone or email or Facebook message and all that stuff. So um, that has really paid dividends in us staying in communication and being on the same wavelength on a daily basis. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean... And really, that's just as valuable if you're investing in your hometown. I mean, it's great to leverage that technology and get those texts and phone calls and pictures yes. and video um, just because it saves so much time. And I think just having that where you're not wondering what's going on and you know what the contractor is doing, the contractor knows you're aware of where the project's at. I think that just makes everything easier. So yes, great tips. And I mean, he can, he can tell me, Hey, I ran into this problem. You know, he can send me pictures or video. This is what it is. Um, this is how I think I'm going to, or this is how I would recommend we address it. What are your thoughts? Or maybe gives me a couple options and then lets me make the decision. You know, most of the time we're on the same wavelength. Every once in a while we, we have a difference in opinion, but, um, it's usually we're on the same wavelength nine times out of 10. It's awesome. So, okay. You have, you're building your rental portfolio. You've added on the flips on a regular basis. Now, Um, what are your goals moving forward or what are you striving to get to? Goals moving forward. So I would say, hold on. I kind of wrote it down to jog my memory a little bit. 
So I've kind of got some short-term and long-term goals, right? So I have a, a big goal, you know, three over the next three to five years. I want to build our business into, um, I want to build it into us earning about a million dollars net profit uh, over the next three to five years. It'll probably be closer to five, but I think it's achievable. And I set it as a, a difficult goal for a reason, because if I set the goal too low, I'm not pushing myself. I'm not pushing the company. And if I'm not challenging myself, then, you know, if you're not growing, then what are you doing? Right? Yeah. yeah. So going back to the beginning, when I talked about my original goal was financial freedom and, and I want to be financially free. The other reason why that three to five year goal is in place is because with the military, I've got about six years left before I can retire. I mean, I could retire in four, but it would be at a uh, reduced amount. So if I were to continue what we're doing and build our business over the next six years, I can retire with the military at like 20, 22 years in the military. Um, and also have this huge, um, business I've got on the side that brings in this steady income, which it already brings in this year, this year alone, it brings in as much as my military income right now. So, I mean, that was a, that was one of my short-term goals that we achieved for this year. So, yeah, well, that's, that should be a huge encouragement to so many people listening because, you know, so many people say, well, I want to replace my day job income. Right. Right. Kind of like the goal. And that's the, you know, the first step to financial freedom when you could walk away from your job if you wanted to and have that income there. And just knowing that you've been able to do that, investing virtually for five years. That's awesome. You know, it's not a 30 year plan. It's (laughs) we're talking five years, a lot of hard work but for five years. So it's very doable. So I think that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I've been very blessed. Um, and I think my faith plays a big role in that. So I don't want to put that, uh, I don't want to forget about that. You know, it has helped keep me level headed. Um, there have been challenges along the way, but, um, going back and relying on my faith and my family and my network, has really helped me through those challenges and knowing and pushing me right uh, to be where we're at and know where we can go. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's huge to have those foundational things. You know, if you, if you are confident in your faith, if you have a strong family and you're all in it together, it's not a personal endeavor that your feel your family feels like they're losing something the time you have to spend on investing. I think um, that makes all the difference in the long haul because there will be difficult times. There will be stressful times and yeah. you need to be confident why you're doing it and have that support system to help you get through those times. So that's huge. That's great. So what would Especially you say? Especially the psychological aspect. What's that? 
I said, especially with all the psychological aspects, you know, fear of the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Having that, having that network there to support you or that faith to fall back on. I mean, that helps me know that we're not in it alone, you know? Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that should be an encouragement to a lot of people. So if somebody's listening right now and they've been kind of on the fence, they're ready to make that jump, but they just haven't started investing yet, what would be some initial yeah. advice you'd give them? Initial advice. And so it kind of falls in line similar to the path that I took a little bit. So I'm a little biased. But um, I would say three things that kind of come to mind for me for advice is, um, well, number one, you're going to make mistakes. Okay. So know that you're going to make mistakes and be okay with that. Um, two, educate yourself because if you educate yourself, you can help minimize those mistakes. And if you do make a mistake, the better you educate yourself, it will help you learn how to overcome that. Um, speaking of overcoming, um, I, I think, well, I said three, but really it's four for me. Um, know you're going to make mistakes, educate yourself, um, ask questions and network. Um, that's been key and pivotal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's been, it's basically been really important for me, uh, to ask questions. Um, I'm not an expert on everything and I've learned quite a bit over my time. And so, yes, I know a lot about a lot of things in real estate, but there are plenty of people that have done it longer and have done it better or more efficient. And they've probably made some of the mistakes that I've made. So. I can ask them, or I'm sorry, they made mistakes so they can give me their recommendations or they could help answer how they did it or what they recommend. So yeah, ask questions, uh, network, that's key. Um, and then I think the last thing is with all of that, you've got to remember that you're not going to get anywhere unless you take action. Um, you have to take action. Just do it. Um, you're not going to be perfect. No one ever is. Um, you're going to learn along the way, which is awesome. You're, you're going to do great things, I'm sure. But take action because if you don't take that action, you're never going to achieve those goals that you have. And that, that in and of itself is a big part of it. There you go. That's awesome. There's a time for preparation and there's a time for action. You got to You got to have both. Yes. Uh, yeah. For sure. That's awesome. For sure. And it, it doesn't, you know, um, I think you have a great point in that you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be a learning curve. So when you take action, it's not perfection. It's just progress, yeah. right? Progress is much better than perfection. And you'll, you'll, you'll learn those lessons along the way. Just, just keep moving forward. So a mentor of mine once said, don't let, let's see, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. I think is how the, the saying went. 
In other words, don't always go for perfection. Good is okay. Good will get you where you need to go. You will not always be perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's reassuring. So that's great. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, Brian. I, I would definitely like to have you on again a little further down the road, check in, see how uh, the different projects are going and how your portfolio is growing. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, this has been fantastic. Um, so yeah, thank you awesome. for your time. Yeah. So in the meantime, if somebody wants to check in with you, see your projects, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to uh, stay in touch? The easiest and best way to get in touch with me has been Facebook, just because majority of the people I network with are, um, I, I communicate through Facebook and LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, if you want to talk to me, uh, not through social media, that's fine. Um, but you'll have to get a hold of me through social media first. If you want to get my, my phone number or my email, um, you know, I don't want to throw that out there to the masses necessarily, but yeah, Facebook is the easiest way. I frequently post updates on some of the projects that we're doing, whether it's a video telling people what's going on or whether it's some pictures so they can kind of see over time how things are going. So yeah, Facebook is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, awesome. Well, I definitely encourage anybody interested in tips on how to grow their business, how to do flips, how to work virtually, definitely check Brian out, stay in touch with him and follow everything he has going on. So thank you again, Brian. I really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again. Thanks. Hey, you have a great night. You too. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.